Welcome back to Generals and Napoleon. We have a special bonus episode. Uh, on the phone with me is Jimmy Chen of NapoleonicImpressions.com. Hello, Jimmy. Hello, John. Happy to be here. Yeah, thanks for joining me. Uh, Jimmy has a great, fantastic website for all you Napoleonic lovers. It's an online store selling fun and unique printed products inspired by the Napoleonic era. And Jimmy and I are going to talk a bit about my last episode on Davout and uh, more in detail about the Russian campaign because I couldn't really cover all of it in that one episode. But before we do that, um, Jimmy, why don't you tell us about your online store briefly? Yeah, so uh, Napoleon Impressions was uh, launched in uh, 2020. It's a project uh, you know, uh, conceived uh, between me and my current uh, fiance. Mm -hmm. And uh, we decided you know, that uh, in terms of merchandise, uh, beyond you know, the, the most important people of the era, like Napoleon, Wellington, Nelson, you don't really get a lot um, of stuff. So we wanted to create uh, artwork um, that you know, uh, celebrates and commemorates um other people yeah uh and in the napoleonic community you know people have all sorts of favorites yep um so yeah that's why uh that's why we have the store yep. and um you know, we have uh, we have mugs we have t-shirts we have posters you know a yep. bunch of other things tote bags so yep. customers really are... like the, uh, the penguins dressed up as napoleon those are cool. <laughs> yes i mean that's uh, uh that design is certainly one of our more popular ones yeah for sure for sure so yeah if you go to napoleonicimpressions.com or you can follow them on twitter instagram and facebook correct yeah that's right okay Great. So let's talk a little bit about the Iron Marshal. I just did a very long episode, 4,000 <laughs> words, and uh, it's getting a lot of positive feedback. So I'm glad you could join me. Yeah. Um, Marshal Davout, I, I get in the texts and emails like, you know, he was the greatest of all time. Great <laughs> Marshal. Yeah. Uh, some say he rivaled Napoleon. What, what was your impression on the uh, Iron Marshal? It's a very good question. I mean, to some extent, Certainly, in terms of his tactical ability and his defensive skills, you can argue that he was Napoleon's superior. Mm. And um, you know, Napoleon relied on him for some of his you know, greatest victories. Auslitz um, is the prime example of that. Uh, you know, um, Davout was like the rock yeah. who sort of anchored one of one of the wings and absorb that like, you know, countless enemy enemy attacks and charges yep. to give you know, Napoleon or you know the likes of Salt or Macdonald the opportunity to break through um, the enemy lines. Mm -hmm. So I think sometimes when um, when we're talking about uh, military um, history and you know, uh, warfare in general. Like the defensive is considered, you know, cowardly or, you know, like the easiest thing to do, right? Um, yeah. And sort of not as exciting as the, um, yeah, as, as the charges and um, as the, uh, the fixed bayonets. And <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I see, uh, people charge Wellington as a defensive general, but he, you know, he led attack after attack on a number of occasions, but they uh, uh, criticize him as a, a defensive general. Uh, Absolutely, and um, you know we have uh, one of our mutual friends who is uh, very much uh, banging on that drum. Um, but um, with with Davout, I mean, you know, some of his exploits. Um, if you look at Austerlitz, you know, the fact that he and his men you know, arrived you know, just in time, just in the nick right. of time right. for, for the battle, having marched all the way from Vienna, yeah, and. Um, and then to actually be in a position, not only to, you know, to hold your ground, but even you know, eventually start pushing the enemy back. Yeah. Um, and I that... read that, and I wanted to include that in the episode, that it was almost like he arrived on the right side, he absorbed blow after blow, and he almost did a sham retreat where he was pretending to retreat. Mm -hmm. And then he attacked when, you know, the order was given, you know. Yeah, I think with that, obviously, yeah, um, with the terrain, you you always sort of deploy some people um, in forward positions, mm -hmm. and then you know draw the enemy um, forward before you know, 
retreating to more favorable um, terrain. And you know, Davu was the master of using terrain to his advantage, um, which is something you could see uh, also um, you know, in his perhaps his greatest victory um, at uh, Alstead. Yeah. Um, but that's, you know, Alstad is pretty much this, in a way, it's like Alstalitz, but in sort of enlarged spatially, because you've got Davu on the right wing. And even though he's kind of fighting his own battle, he's still absorbing the main brunt mm. of the enemy attack, mm-hmm. while Napoleon and co you know, <laughs> do the rest with uh, Hohenlohe's army uh, at Jena. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and I, I thought, yeah, I think you make a great point there. Like using terrain to, he almost funneled the Prussian army, even though there were 60,000 of them, into a small area where his 20,000 could hold them off. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, obviously this, this meant uh, his men suffered um, uh, considerable casualties as well. But yeah. uh, considering the ratio of you know, loss to, uh, uh, of the men he lost to uh, the uh, casualties sus- sustained by the enemy, um, it's it's remarkable. Yeah, um, let's yeah. touch on the the Bernadotte piece there. Uh, <laughs> yes, on our set, I didn't want to include too much of it in the Davu episode because it's in the Bernadotte episode. Yeah. But, you know, he was clearly he clearly could hear the cannons. You know, Davu even sent courier after courier saying, "Hey, look, we're." Or up against it, we could use your help, and you just ignored the guy. Yes, it's it's very interesting because I mean my my feelings on, on Bernadotte are mixed. Um, I don't think he deserves some of the more uh, you know the, the, the more passionate criticisms you know of um, of treachery or even incompetence, mm. but certainly he was a self-serving individual mm-hmm. and he had his own sense of pride and you know, during the revolutionary wars he was a very successful independent commander mm-hmm. and i think and he certainly considered himself to be the equal of napoleon mm-hmm. and if you consider yourself to be the equal of, of napoleon you're not gonna really want to consider yourself as being subject to Davout's orders, bearing right. in mind that Davout was the most junior of the marshals. Right, right. And, and you know, Davout was not uh, a political animal. He wasn't going to say any niceties to get you to show up. He was very <laughs> stern and direct and, and, and basically a humorless man. Uh, uh, yes, that's, yeah, that's who, absolutely true. Yeah. Who was just focused on his job, which is, you know, what you want in a soldier. It, that that's That is true, but, you know, Sometimes it also helps to have some allies, you know? True. Very true. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, Bernadotte doesn't show up. You know, Davu holds off the Prussians. And then, as you were mentioning, uh, actually turns the uh, defensive strategy into an attack and pushes them off the battlefield. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's also what's remarkable about this thing, because, you know, once the Prussians are in retreat, then even though, like, they still... They still have more men. Um, Davu realizes that the time is right to take advantage of you know, the the loss of morale mm. and um, you know, shift gears uh, into the offensive. And you know, that's not always the easiest thing to do um, when you're when you're fighting a battle. Like uh, I'm I'm an avid chess player, and sometimes you know you're, you're sort of moving the piece the pieces around, preparing for an attack, um, and you're not entirely sure when to do it um so it takes a lot of a lot of skill and sort of reading not only what is happening uh in terms of um casualties or in terms of you know the 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 sort of reality of war but also you know the um the morale side and the the sort of less um uh less material aspects of battle that's a really great point. And I think Marshal Murat and Masena had that ability too to realize like now's the time for a strike. Um, absolutely. Although I think uh, with Murat, it's, uh, it was a bit more mercurial. mercurial. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> definitely. Uh, let's get into uh, Ailao and Bagram real quick before we get into yeah. Russia. 
again, you know, both he's anchoring the right side of the line. Mm-hmm. And I think that's interesting. If you look back in history, you know, going back to Roman times, you always put your best forces on the right side of your line. Yeah. Uh, and I allow, he pushed the Russians back almost to a hairpin on their line. And then the Prussians. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, that was just a nasty, you know, boxing match, bloodbath, whatever. You bath, yes. Yep. Yeah. Um, I think with, with I allow, it's a very interesting battle uh, because it, it's it's the first one where um, well it's the first of Napoleon's major battles as emperor where it's not you know a decisive victory mm-hmm. um, and I think that actually speaks to the quality of the Russian army mm-hmm. um, but also just the general confusion of battle that day you know with the sto- snowstorm with Ogero getting lost um, and yeah, walking right into the the, the Russian cannons. Um, as for as for Davout's role, yeah, it's interesting with with both um, Ailao and uh, Wagram. It's yeah, he's no longer fully on the defensive. Mm-hmm. He's actually the one, yeah, you know, arguably the one who is trying to turn the flank, mm-hmm. um, and he actually. Yeah, does that pretty pretty well. I mean, even though his forte is in defensive warfare, mm-hmm. um, he makes he's able to make sort of steady methodical process, uh, progress, which again is not quite as flashy as you know as you know your lan or your nay, mm-hmm. but it still does the job. Um, I mean, obviously in in Ilao it was uh, um, you know, the, the the Prussians who. Um, Showed up. Uh, who showed up and, and saved um, the Allies' uh, bacon. But mm-hmm. certainly in Wagram, like you know, people talk about um, the the cavalry charge in the center and um, you know, McDonald uh, and, and, and Eugene um, in, in the center sort of uh, trying to break through uh, the Austrian lion. Mm-hmm. But actually, it's Davout's flanking maneuver, yeah. which forces um the austrians to retreat yeah and people uh, think they don't know mcdonald's job is basically just to tie up forces before the big coup de gras really yes absolutely i mean it's it, it's kind of yeah the other the other way around right like mm-hmm. now now the center is the one which is even though it's advancing it's mm-hmm. still drawing fire mm-hmm. and then you know uh Davout on the flank can can do his job and uh and move forward um and yeah, Wagram is a is also a fascinating battle because it, it is one that Napoleon came very close to losing. Right. Uh, and um, again, it's our friend Bernadotte <laughs> who uh, <laughs> plays a play, plays a fairly significant role um, in that. Um, yeah. But but also, you know, uh, not only Davout on the right, but Massini on the left. Right. Uh, just incredible the way that. You know, He's he's ordered not only to plug the gap left by um, Bernadotte's uh, insubordination, maybe a bit strong for it, but certainly you know his Mistake. autonomous decision making. Right, right. Um, and then you know Messina, who, who who is still like yeah, I think he's fallen off his horse or something, and he's still in his carriage, but right. he still manages to execute this. Uh, this this maneuver and you know even outflank or attack the um uh the Austrians on on the left and it, that is also yeah a, a uh, you know, one of I think the um the most brilliant exploits of any general during the Napoleonic era. Indeed, I agree. And uh, Bagram should have been the battle to to end all battles, and that was <laughs> a big one. But you know we we have a couple of years of peace, other than the obviously the uh, Peninsula campaign. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we get to 1812, and what is Davout doing? I know he's organizing troops, and he's going to lead the largest corps mm-hmm. within Russia. But what what's going on there? Yeah, I mean, yeah, as you said, he, he spends um, his uh, this time, you know, in, in Poland, kind of as the quote unquote military governor over there. I mean, the, there's various you know, different different posts you know you've got polish officials you've got french officials and the uh, lines of command can get pretty blurred um but yeah the job is mainly to um get together 
you know, uh, a large uh, body of men and you know, to prepare and train them, which yeah. you know, as as a strict discipline, he's um, very good at doing. Yeah. Um, and yeah, to prepare for this grand like assault. A, a, yeah, he was a bit of a buffer too. Uh, like the mm. you know whether it was Austria, Prussia, or Russia, no one wanted anything to do with messing around with Marshal Debout out there. <laughs> yes, and an another sort of major um, uh, operation that he accomplished during this period was the occupation of uh, Swedish uh, Pomerania mm. uh, in order to try to get Bernadotte on side. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it didn't quite work out as uh, Napoleon had envisaged, um, obviously. And, um, you know, the view and Bernadotte have a lot of history. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, may maybe not the, the best um, uh, decision, but you know, it was something that um, the view got up to uh, during the couple of years um, preparing but for a the Russian campaign. A wee bit of payback for uh, Bernadotte leaving him high and dry at Auerstadt. So. <laughs> yes. So, yeah, we get to June 1812, you know, mm -hmm. Davout set up this invasion army, First Corps, which is, of course, you know, the most well-organized, almost mm -hmm. to the level of the Imperial Guard. Yeah. And they, la they launch into Russia, and then what happens? Right. So Napoleon's strategy in Russia is not to go to Moscow. <laughs> his, <laughs> his, his strategy like his strategy in a lot of um, previous campaigns, is to force the enemy out into the field of battle to destroy the enemy army and force them to sign a peace treaty uh, favorable to his interests, mm -hmm. um, which in the case of 1812 would most likely involve uh, Russia uh, returning to the continental system and perhaps you know, some ter territorial concessions um, to, to the benefit of Poland. Um, or the Duchy of Warsaw. Um, and in order to do this, I mean, he had, yeah, any, anyone who invades Russia has three options, really. They can head north towards St. Petersburg. Mm -hmm. They can um, head towards the center in the direction of Moscow, or they can head south towards Kiev and Ukraine. Mm. And Napoleon always intended his main thrust to be in the direction of Moscow. So not necessarily going to Moscow, but in that direction, because he had the feeling that the Russians would want to defend Moscow more than anywhere else. Mm -hmm. uh, and in order to do that, um, his, yeah, his main column uh, was kind of divided into two. So Napoleon, um, with maybe you know, uh, 200,000 men or something, was on a bit of a sort of northern flank. Um, and his target was uh, the Russian First Western Army under the command of uh, General Barclay de Tolly, uh, which was maybe around sort of, uh, uh, 120,000 men strong. Mm -hmm. And then Davu was assigned to kind of the right wing. Um, and he, that's, uh, he had in his corps around 70,000 men, um, but the whole right wing was around 90,000, um, including 8th Corps, uh, which was uh, at that time commanded by uh, Jerome Bonaparte, uh, right. the King of Westphalia and uh, Napoleon's younger brother. Right. And, um, and for the, the problems probably started with the communication, like who's actually in charge here? Precisely, precisely. So their job is to try and cut off um, the Russian second army under Prince Bagration, which has around 45,000 men uh, from joining uh, Barclay's first army. And as you say, no one, like, no one really knew who was in charge because uh, Jerome was technically in charge of the right wing, but he had very little military experience and, you know, spent most of his time, you know, trying to be a more, you know, a less competent version of Murat. Mm. Um, whereas Davu, you know, is the military expert here. He is, he is the, you know, not only the most talented officer um, 
in in the right wing, but you know, in the whole army, I'll argue. Right, right. And this isn't his first rodeo. He knows what to do. Yeah. Pre precisely. So that's why you know, uh, uh, Davu is you know very um, uh, critical of Jerome's you know rather lackadaisical approach to warfare, mm -hmm. um, and you know, he wants to do things his way. And then you know, Jerome, being the emperor's brother is also, you know, feeling like his dignity as an imperial prince is um, is being undermined. Mm -hmm. So you do have these tensions um, brewing very quickly, and this uh, this does contribute to um, a certain amount of inertia, mm -hmm. uh, which allows uh, Bagration's men to, you know, slip um, you know, quite a few traps and eventually join up with Barclay and Smolensk. Mm. Um, and yeah, already, already before that, uh, you know, Napoleon's uh, um, yeah, criticized uh, Jerome, you know, told him to get his act together, and uh, Jerome went off in a half um, back to Germany. <laughs> so, right. Um, right. yeah, but they get to, you know, just to jump ahead a little bit, they get to Smolensk, yeah. Smolensk and then they're running already the Grand Armée is running a bit out of rations. And mm -hmm. what what happens around Smolensk? I know that's the stage of a big battle. I know yep. Davu loses one of his favorite corps commanders in Gudan, but yeah. What that, happened? That's right. So uh the the Battle of Smolensk uh took place in mid-August and you basically had uh the the Russians uniting their army uh in the city and uh again Napoleon trying to get his you know to draw the Russians out onto the field to have his um set piece battle or at least you know to surround uh the Russians. And you know, the, the 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 battle goes fairly well for, for Napoleon. They take a few um suburbs uh, the Russians defend, you know, very tenaciously, mainly um, Bagration's uh, second army, um, especially Seventh Corps uh, under uh, General Ryevsky. And you, know, you, you do have this very intense struggle um, for Smolensk. And over the course of two days, you know, both sides lose maybe 20,000 men. Mm. And then all of a sudden, um, even though the Russians still hold the city, which is, you know, a, a, a smoldering wreck, um, General Barclay de Tolly uh, decides to evacuate and abandon uh, the city, which uh, you know, infuriates um, Bagration, mm -hmm. who, who 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 wants to you know continue and fight, and you know, calls Barclay you know all sorts of names. Um, so while Barclay's army is retreating, he divides his army into into two in order to. Yeah, uh, two columns in order to make the retreat quicker. Mm -hmm. uh, but in the middle of the night, you know, they get lost. Uh, one of the columns basically, you know, ends up further to the west than it had been 24 hours earlier. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and uh, as a result of that, um, like Napoleon is just, you know, in Smolensk, he's, he's just, you know, trying to, um, again, uh, you know, recover a little from the uh, uh, from the battle, mm -hmm. um, but you know, his his subordinates, you know, the, the likes of Ney uh, and Murat, they see a great opportunity to um, uh, to actually destroy a, fa a fairly large um, uh, chunk of the Russian army, maybe up to thirty thousand men. Mm. And yeah, they they um, they go about this um, this maneuver to try and uh, trap. Uh, the Russians, and this is the Battle of Palutina uh, Gora, um, sometimes also known as uh, Lubinov. Mm. And this is the action where um, General uh, Goudin, who is one of uh, the three uh, divisional commanders um, yep. under uh, under Davout, oh, and you know, uh, Friant and um, Morand. That's right. Yes, um, and Goudin is basically. Uh, yeah, uh, dur during the uh, during the attack, he is mortally wounded uh, in the leg, and his uh, his leg is amputated, 
but yeah, it's um, it develops gangrene still, and um, a few days later he's died, and uh, he he's buried uh, in Smolensk, mm. and um, uh, two hundred years later, yeah. uh, his 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 body is found by archaeologists um, yeah. uh, working on the fortress, yep. um, and, and later repatriated um, to the uh, to the pantheon, uh, uh, the pantheon of the invalids. Uh, yeah. yeah. Somewhere in Paris. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, I, I, I just think that's an amazing story. And um, yeah, I, General Gudan is going to be one of my first uh, of next season to cover. Just a fascinating, yeah. fascinating man. So yeah. Dubu, Dubu has his first real loss of one of his core commanders. Yeah. And then if we jump ahead again and move mm -hmm. to Borodino, which is right. another mess of a bloodbath. <laughs> Yes. Uh, the marshal's actually wounded, I believe, twice. Uh, I think a cannonball hits him in the gut, and then he's yeah. shot in the leg during the uh, assault. Yes. Um, so Borodino is like the the largest um, battle uh, of the eighteen twelve campaign, and no, it it takes place because both sides want to fight, mm. uh, which is. A change from uh, the previous situation because the Russians were retreating, trying to avoid battle, and Napoleon was doing his best to try and, you know, to try and draw the, uh, the Russians into a battle. But then the Russian strategy of retreat became so unpopular that General Barclay um, was superseded in command mm. uh, by uh, Field Marshal Mikhail uh, Kutuzov, uh, who's yeah, who's considered. Uh, well, he's a veteran of uh, Catherine the Great's wars. Um, he has a great reputation. He's very popular in the army. Mm -hmm. And his task um, given to him by the Tsar is basically you know, defend Moscow um, at all costs. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, uh, Dubu so yep. that position, though, as I recall, and Napoleon said no. Yes, right. So Kutuzov decides to, um, to deploy his forces uh, at a place... Um, near the village of uh, Borodino, around you know, um, 80 to 100 uh, kilometers uh, to the west uh, of Moscow. And um, he, yeah, uh, that's, that's where he, uh, he wants to make his, uh, his stand and, uh, and defend uh, Moscow. And Davu, once again, is kind of, he's not on the extreme right flank of the uh, uh, of Napoleon's army, but he is sort of on the right side. Mm -hmm. And uh, on the eve of the battle, he suggests to Napoleon to uh, to basically launch a uh, a flanking operation um, in the in the middle of the night to uh, to basically reposition the troops yeah. on Kutuzov's southern flank. Yeah, and I. And I uh, I get that. I mean, it's a prepared yeah. position, you know, to just slug it out directly with a frontal assault is dangerous. But Napoleon also yeah. had in mind that, you know, my soldiers are tired. We have no food. We don't have time for a flanking uh, maneuver. Yes. Um, and bear in mind that uh, the route that uh, Davout uh, suggested taking uh, was the old Smolensk Road. Mm -hmm. And by that name, like it was no longer, um, yeah, it was no longer passable at all points. Mm -hmm. So um, progress would have been very difficult, especially you know, in the middle of the night um, <laughs> in a different country, unfamiliar terrain. You know, who knows right. what can go wrong? Mm -hmm. And um, good, like that's potentially you know forty thousand men mm -hmm. that Napoleon loses from the main battle. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they may get lost. Mm -hmm. um, they may get you know destroyed by by the Russians. You know who knows what's going to happen to them. And even in the event that this flanking maneuver works, there is nothing stopping Kutuzov from just retreating further back. True. Uh, and Napoleon is desperate <laughs> for a battle, right. so he wants to make sure, you know, even if it has to be you know a slugfest, frontal assaults, um, and so on and so forth, he still wants to fight. Russians. He doesn't want Kutuzov, you know, a slightly old fox, um, to uh, uh, to retreat any any further. Yeah. 
So the the battle goes on. Obviously, it's gosh, one of the worst in the Napoleonic Wars. Yeah. But the Grand Army does take position uh, possession of the field, and then they occupy Moscow. Yeah. Uh, Davout obviously is there, and I believe they're there for five weeks, right? And then they start the retreat. Something like that. Yes. Yeah. Um, I mean, Napoleon. Well, his he wanted um, obviously to make peace in Moscow. And mm -hmm. this is what he promised his men at Borodino, right? Mm -hmm. It's just like, you've got one last hard battle to fight. And that, yeah, I know you all want to, you're, you're all desperate to go home to your wives and your families. Mm -hmm. But, you know, once we've won this victory, once we've occupied Moscow, you know, Tsar Alexander has to make peace. Mm -hmm. You know, like he, he has no choice. He's, he's not gonna let his, uh, his, you know, his ancient capital be, in enemy hands for long right but this is where he misjudges the czar because mm. and Tsar alexander like he he goes down in history as someone who's you know maybe a little weak-willed who's always bending to the ear of the last person who's talked to him right but in 1812 his res resolution is you know as strong as granite mm -hmm. and yeah, he said previously uh, to uh, to Konikov when uh, he was ambassador in St. Petersburg that uh, if need be, he would retreat his army all the way to Kamchatka on the Pacific coast. And Napoleon sent like a couple of letters uh, to St. Petersburg. He then sent uh, his um, general uh, Luriston uh, to try to um, yeah to talk to Kutuzov. Uh, to try and pass on a message to the Tsar, and Kutuzov basically said, "You know, I have no right to make peace." <laughs> right, right. As they say, uh, in the Princess yeah. Bride, you know, never get involved in a land war in Asia. You know, so <laughs> Napoleon is now deep in Moscow, and he realizes he has to head back to France at this point. Yes, because you know, supplies are running low, uh, morale is not terribly high, and the winter is coming. Yeah, winter is coming. Yeah. And um, actually, uh, so October is relatively mild mm -hmm. in 1812. And that kind of encourages Napoleon to stick around in Moscow a bit longer, just to uh, just to see whether, you know, the Russians are in a position to, to make peace, whether Alexander has changed, changed his mind. Mm -hmm. um, and this perhaps costs him a week or two. Um, which is very valuable uh, mm -hmm. in in the retreat. And uh, I don't know whether you want to talk about the Battle of uh, Maloyaroslavitz. Yeah. Um, um, so that's where, um, you know, uh, Kutuzov has decided to retreat to the south mm -hmm. and wait, await um, basically Napoleon's decision to abandon Moscow. And he believes that Napoleon's going to be short of supplies and he's going to want south where there are more plentiful supplies and where, you know, the, the land hasn't already been plundered by both armies. Mm -hmm. um, and indeed, you know, Kutuzov is, is correct and Napoleon wants to make it um, to Kaluga, mm -hmm. uh, which is where, you know, firstly, where the Russian stores are, where, mm -hmm. you know, Kutuzov's uh, supply lines um, but also, you know, to try and get those supplies for um, uh, for for the Grand Army, um, or the you know far less grand, grand than it used to be army, mm -hmm. um, and so you basically have this running fight as uh, as Kutuzov realizes what Napoleon is trying to do, mm -hmm. and uh, he gets you know he sends core after core to um, Maroyaroslavitz uh, on the road to Kaluga in order to try and cut Napoleon off. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this is a, again, very, very fierce struggle. And the town, you know, it, it changes hands, you know, like 10, 11 times, you know, who's counting at this point, right? Mm -hmm. And um, so you basically have both, both sides, you know, funneling more men um, into interaction and obviously uh, Davout's course is uh, involved in that um, but uh, you know, at, at this point it's like the the armies are now fairly balanced you know previously the Russians had been considerably outnumbered but this time 
it's it's fairly equal. And as I said before, the Russians are yeah as good of an army as the Grand Armée, right. um, provided they're well led and well fed. Yeah, um, interesting. After you know Napoleon's blunted there, although I think Prince Eugene and his men did phenomenal work in that that battle. Yes, absolutely. They, they switch track and they go back on their original path, you know, through Bordino yes. to return to France. And what is, I guess, controversial is why did he make Davu the rear guard commander, not Marshal? <laughs> that's that's a very interesting question, and I think there's a bit of um, there's certainly a bit of debate around around that. But you know, Davu is the Iron Marshal. <laughs> he is the you know he is he is the master of defensive warfare right. so in a sense you could say that he's a he's a natural rear guard commander mm-hmm. um but he's never found himself and his and his corps has never found itself in this sort of position right right um and i think they were the most well organized you know going in and probably going out of all the corps you know Davout was a stickler for details mm-hmm. he wanted to make sure they had enough boots and coats and he was probably other than the imperial guard this was probably the best looking of the corps on the retreat initially yeah that's that's probably right and in terms of you know, the first engagement um that uh, the bruce regard is involved in at uh, viasma uh, on the 3rd of november um the bruce is essentially isolated mm-hmm. but his men still put up a fairly decent fight Mm-hmm. Um, it's just that you know, overwhelming numbers mm-hmm. make it incredibly difficult for them to to hold the ground, and you know, eventually they have to abandon their positions. And um, you know, this, you know, yeah, yeah, like I chalked that one up as a loss, and I know Napoleon was nominally in command, but you know, mm. Debu was what there was a gap that opened up. The Russians, yeah. Plugged. And then, you know, if it wasn't for Prince Eugene turning around, I think it would have been a disaster. I th- yes, um, I think so. Um, and yeah, you're right. I think that's definitely a battle that um, D- Davu loses. But in a sense, you know, like yeah. if 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 Alistair, you know, he, he won a battle, uh, he won a battle that he could could not win. Like he literally could not win at <laughs> Yasmin. Yeah, that's true. I mean- his men were exhausted, and that's probably why the gap opened up. You know, just they couldn't keep up with, you know, with no food and mm. cold weather with the rest of the army. Uh, so, you know, they they somehow extricate themselves with Eugene's help, and they sent yeah. to help. Um, and then they make their way on from there. What yeah. is what what happens after that? So, what happens after that is that they arrive in Smolensk, where um, Napoleon. Uh, he still has some plans of you know setting up winter quarters in Smolensk and mm-hmm. uh, retaining a foothold mm-hmm. in the Russian Empire. Um, but after a few days, he realizes that the situation is dire. His northern flank is collapsing. His southern flank, you know, uh, uh, with his Austrian allies, have, his Austrian allies have gone a bit awol. Let's put it that way. <laughs> um, and he realizes that he may find himself trapped right. um, in Russia. And that is exactly what Tsar Alexander is trying to do. And yeah, uh, Tsar Alexander, he's, he's not ever known for being like a particularly competent military commander. Mm-hmm. But actually, his strategic insight in 1812 was yeah, very much on point. Mm-hmm. And at this point, the idea was basically to have three Russian armies moving um, against Napoleon's main army mm-hmm. and closing the noose um, and uh, and trapping him. So you had uh, the northern flank um, commanded by General Wittgenstein, mm-hmm. um, had the center uh, commanded by Kutuzov, and then you had the, su- the, uh, the, the southern column commanded by Admiral Chichagov, and that is a whole other story. Um, <laughs> um, but these 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 armies are moving in, and Napoleon realizes that you know, he has to abandon Smolensk. He has to go, but he still spends a bit of time trying to 
get as many supplies as possible before um uh, before continuing westward right and yeah during all this period like the russians have been harassing uh the retreating army yeah. but kutuzov who's never been a particularly bold general but mm -hmm. he doesn't really want to um to have any sort of set piece battle because i think he realizes that despite all their um despite the position they they find themselves in like a french army commanded by napoleon can still be a very very lethal force yeah i mean he found that out at krasny when the uh, imperial guard kind of gave him a bloody nose a little bit right yeah. so, yes so so so, so that's 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 how we get to krasny because um uh, due to the you know four or five days that napoleon stays um in smolensk it gives kutuzov the chance to catch up and actually overtake uh, uh napoleon and be in a position to essentially launch an ambush mm -hmm. and that's essentially what happens like the um as napoleon is uh marching his corps out of uh, smolensk um kutuzov's men are basically just waiting by the side of the road ready to strike mm -hmm. and they're very on uh, on the whole they're very successful in doing so and yes as you say the imperial guard which is basically at this point the vanguard it's you know it's the one um uh yeah it's the unit responsible for pushing a hole through uh the russians and right. making it out of russia right um and, and they, they do very and, well and marshal ney is now the rear guard at replacing Devu. that's that's right um, Neus Rigard, he's, he's sort of <laughs> left left behind, um, and again, sort of rather rather isolated. But Davu is kind of in the train, but still you know, close to the rear. Yeah. And this is when, you know, again, the the French corps are strung out. Um, the various Russian columns uh, basically strike uh, onto the road, and um, Davu ends up. You know, having his baggage train um, captured and including his uh, his marshal's battle, yeah. which you know I have seen in its uh, uh, in its case at the uh, Museum of the Patriotic War of eighteen twelve in <laughs> Moscow. <laughs> I don't think Napoleon was very happy about that. So yeah. no, no. And yeah. if if I'm not mistaken, I believe it's actually the first time uh, Marshal of the Empire had lost uh, his battle. Right, right, but it wouldn't be. Which, it wouldn't be. The it last. wouldn't be the last. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, but, just considering for all of Davout's reputation, yeah, like he is the first marshal to lose his battle. It's quite, yeah. like, it's quite ironic. And it's around this time Napoleon kind of sours on Davout a little bit, I believe. Mm. Uh, but I mentioned in the podcast as well on episode twenty-one that you know, for a rear guard commander in a dire situation, you almost needed an inspirational guy like Ney and, and Davu for all his attributes, he wasn't a real fire and brimstone, like you know, <laughs> type of guy. He was almost like a, like a desk clerk. He's very orderly. He's very, yeah. Orderly. But when it came to motivational speeches, I don't, I don't know how he did with that. <laughs> that's uh, I, I think that that's a fair point. Um, it, it is quite interesting because obviously later on in the campaign, uh, Napoleon ends up, you know, leaving the the command of the whole army to Murat, mm -hmm. uh, you know, hoping for this sort of you know, elan to, uh, to 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 come about. Mm -hmm. But you know, by this point, you know, uh, no no one cares. You know, they they just want to not die. Right. And um, uh, yeah, even even the great uh, Joachim Murat cannot uh, cannot rally. Uh, anyone at the at the stage, mm -hmm. and it's actually you know Eugene who ends up um, you know, picking up what pieces that can be uh, can be picked up and leading them to you know comparative safety. Yeah, um, yeah. Let, let's let's jump ahead there, and, and if we mm -hmm. if we can, I know we uh, <laughs> we yeah. could talk about Russia forever, but uh, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, but I, you know they they do get. I mean the the remnants or relics of the. Grand Armée, they do get the safety in Europe, and uh, Davout's stationed initially in Dresden, I guess, again, to make a buffer zone between Napoleon and the Russians. Yeah, 
Um, I think it, it well in eighteen thirteen or in early eighteen thirteen. Uh, basically, what Napoleon has to do is rebuild his army, mm. and um, so he uh, yeah he goes to Paris, and he's frantically you know he's he's calling ahead like the um, uh, the conscripts from yeah. Uh, uh, 1814 mm -hmm. uh, and, and so on and so forth, um, because uh, he realizes that um, you know, <laughs> he's lost so many men in Russia. Mm -hmm. um, and bearing in mind that at this point, the Prussians have joined the Russians mm -hmm. um, and the Austrians are looking, you know, um, not particularly filial, not particularly loyal mm -hmm. to. Uh, uh, to his empire, yeah. so, but you know, at this point, Napoleon still controls a large chunk of Germany, correct? And he still has like an, a nominal ally in Austria, mm -hmm. so he still believes that there is the chance to fight back. Mm -hmm. And but in order to do so, he still needs to have, um, uh, yeah, uh, uh, so, some men, um, in. Yeah, in the sort of borderland, as you say, buffer zone yeah. places, um, yeah. to 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 keep uh, the Allies at bay while he continues to um, uh, to to recruit his new army. Yeah, and I think it's interesting. You know, obviously from Dresden he goes, Davout goes to Hamburg to hold that area, but he kind of yeah. gets isolated there by is it Benningson? That's right. So Hamburg is. Is interesting because the reason why Davout is tasked with going to Hamburg is because as a result of these you know, deep partisan raids and these sort of flying columns of like uh, Prussian, Austrian and Russian horsemen, yep. um, no, like cavalry, and they penetrate, you know, hundreds of miles mm -hmm. behind the French lines. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, uh, one of one of these forces manages to actually uh, capture Hamburg, mm -hmm. uh, and bearing in mind Hamburg within the Napoleonic Empire at, at this stage, Hamburg was literally part of France. Mm -hmm. So it's like they're already um, uh, getting so far, and yeah. bearing in mind that you know once Hamburg falls, you know the whole northern flank you can have um and you know the dutch are getting a bit restless so who knows right like you, you paris is already you know <laughs> going to be feeling a bit anxious yeah and I um and to make an example of hamburg like look you know you can't turn against the french empire you know and i'm going to put my sternest marshal in control there yeah i mean that may indeed be part of um uh, be part of the plan but uh yeah obviously uh Davout, you know with his whole core of like thirty thousand men or something mm -hmm. like he is able to very easily um force uh the allies to um to evacuate mm -hmm. uh, and then he basically holds it um and serves at its as its uh, uh commander without any orders from napoleon to you know without being re reassigned or anything which again is a bit of a um a mystery yeah. uh why napoleon decided that you know, davout should stay in hamburg rather than you know exchanging him for you know, another sort of less um uh less important or you know, less senior general right um, uh, that's good point that's a very good point yeah because he was basically out of the rest of the war until napoleon advocates he's stuck in hamburg uh, precisely. So he plays no no part in you know the battles of like Dresden and uh, Kolm and um, uh, uh, and Leipzig, uh, yeah. which is the big one, obviously. And at that stage, giving the sort of overwhelming odds, it's by no means clear whether his presence would have helped much. Right. Um, but you would certainly think that it would have helped somewhat. Um, on the other hand, obviously, with the view hold up in in Hamburg and with him you know, being very successful at withstanding uh, the enemy siege, he he is able to tie down you know a good like seventy thousand 
yep. allied troops. I was just going to say, uh, and and even even after Napoleon abdicates, he's tying down. Yes. <laughs> so that that's interesting too. Like he was there almost an extra two months after Napoleon abdicates because he he wouldn't believe yeah. that Napoleon would ever give up the throne. Well, it's, it, it, exactly, and I think you know, eventually it's um, you know it has to be. Uh, was it one of the uh, one of the marshals who sort of turned up and sort of actually delivered the um, the message that oh yeah by the way um, we are now actually you know serving under the orders of King Louis the eighteenth right 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 so no that's all very interesting so obviously Davout is somewhat in disgrace when he gets back to Paris you know for you know being such a stern ruler in Hamburg he was ignoring the king's orders so he's kind yeah. of not, well, I guess he is disgraced. He's just kind of ostracized yeah. by the royals. Yeah. They don't want anything to mm. do with him. Yeah, that's that's certainly true. Um, and I think, you know, he's <laughs> he is one of the men who is most associated with the Napoleonic Empire. Right. So it makes a lot of sense that you know he wouldn't um, you know, be immediately back in the good graces of the king. Although, of course, this doesn't stop the likes of Salt and May um, you know, uh, being appointed to uh, uh, to important offices. Right. Um, and, and I think that just speaks, and we were touching on this before we started, with the loyalty of Davu, whether it was to his mm. wife or to Napoleon. And I think just his upbringing, you know, he's from a military family. He went to a military mm -hmm. school. I think he just, he learned, like, loyalty is going to be his number one thing. Yeah. Uh, I think you make a very good point. His um, you know, his family background and um, and upbringing, um, and I think another thing is that you know, his personality was never suited to be the person in charge. Right. Um, so he was very good at his, at his job, um, and you know when it came to training troops and and exerting authority that way, he could do so, but not in the service of himself, but in the service of the superior. And, you know, for most of his career, that was, um, that was Napoleon. Right. Who we find out in a few months comes back from Alba and takes <laughs> yet again yes. in 1815 for the hundred days campaign and, and mm. debuts him, but not on the front lines. Right. That's, that's right. And I think you, um, you touched on this, uh, in, in the episode, um, there is, you know, some. Uh, there are certainly people who, um, a lot of armchair historians, let's say, mm -hmm. who, um, uh, who basically, you know, ask the question, you know, why wasn't Devu at Waterloo? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, if Devu were in the place of Grouchy, then who knows, right? Uh, maybe, maybe that would have, maybe Napoleon would have been successful in the Waterloo campaign, mm -hmm. um, and at least the campaign would have um, carried on. Mm -hmm. um, to which my response, and I think uh, you also touched on this, is that Napoleon needed someone he could trust in Paris. Yep. Um, and bear in mind, he still had to like rebuild an army. Yeah. Um, and. The end of the 1814 campaign he had you know marmont his brother you know talleyrand all these people yes. against him in paris and, <laughs> yeah and you know he probably remembered that like you know while i was out at the front lines i had all these people i could not trust in paris and i just want mm -hmm. a guy like a stern man who isn't going to be flattered by politicians in control yeah bear in mind that um Davout is a very very effective administrator as well so he can he's in a position to you know recruit and supply uh an army uh for napoleon mm -hmm. so yeah i i don't think the appointment was misguided at all mm -hmm. and then yeah you, you you end up with the counterfactual fine like you know he is with napoleon at waterloo mm -hmm. and you know how how does that change anything you know, mm -hmm. let's let let's say they push back wellington from the ridge Right. And you know the Prussians don't turn up in time. I think in that situation, well, you know, uh, even if the Prussians and the and the British sort of lose contact, Napoleon still has to like chase after both of them. Right. And 
you know, risk dividing his forces um, doing so. Mm-hmm. And you know, uh, you're, you're getting to the sort of situation where, you know, actually, is it so, um, is it so obvious mm-hmm. that Napoleon would be in a position to defeat uh, the British and the Prussians while mm-hmm. bearing in mind that you've got ten, hundreds of thousands yeah. of Austrians and Russians <laughs> marching from the east. Yeah. Um, I agree. So yeah. I, it would have been yeah. maybe if he won, but not the war, because it was just it was all of Europe united against him this time. So right, and I think the the experience of eighteen thirteen and eighteen fourteen um, you know, helped to galvanize the Allies into uh, and you know, their respective monarchs into agreeing among themselves. You know, we may have different national interests of our own, right, but Napoleon is is the enemy. We've got to get rid of the, him first, and then we can discuss among ourselves, you know, what to do with Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, and certainly, you know, eighteen fifteen, when the news that Napoleon escapes from Elba, the yeah. Seventh Coalition is formed very quickly, yeah. and they yeah, uh, they they decide that you know, we need to get rid of this man once and for all. Right. And just to give an epilogue on Davu, obviously Napoleon comes back. Davu tells him mm-hmm. to carry on the fight. Napoleon realizes the odds are stacked against him and advocates a second time. Yeah. And then Davu kind of has a rough go of it after that. Yeah, he does. I mean, <laughs> it's like, uh, again, you know, once uh, I think with, with, with um, Davu, again, uh, even though his personality was not um, particularly, you know, friendly and uh, sociable, <laughs> little um, yeah, little prickly. But uh, you know, one of his few friends in the army, um, even though you know they had a bit of a falling out in 1812, um, was was Ney, mm-hmm. and I think um, he was very, yeah, he 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 did his best uh, mm-hmm. to save the life of, of his friend um, in vain. And that, uh, I mean, this, this is the thing, right? The, the execute, you know, arguably, um, to, uh, to quote, I think it was uh, Fouché about the, the Duc de Anguin, you know, it was worse than the crime, it was a mistake. Yeah. The execution yeah. of May. And um, I, there was an interesting passage, it was, I think it was Dubu who said, uh, there's mm-hmm. no way they can convict Ney, not even Ragusa would convict Ney. And, right. You know, and he was wrong. I mean, I think that really, mm-hmm. that broke him. You know, to see such an honored man, you know. Yeah, up. I mean, Ney was so popular, you know, in the army and in all of France, yeah. um, that it was really a um, uh, a mistake by the Bourbon authorities um, to to make him the scapegoat. Mm-hmm. Um, but then again, you know, I guess you know the, the higher profile the scapegoat is, uh, the more um, cowed. The rest are going to be, you know, right. if they can execute Ney, who else are, are they going to execute? Correct. So yeah, I guess he's stripped of all of his titles and and yep. his pension and his money, and he's he's destitute for a little while in Paris. Yeah, um, and yeah, I, I think the um, the view was never the most ostentatious mm-hmm. of, uh, of 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 marshals, but clearly as a marshal of the empire. And with his, you know, with his other sort of noble titles, princely titles, and so on, um, he had you know, a very, <laughs> a very good up um, uh, lifestyle. He did, um, but he didn't pocket money like the Ogerus or the Messenas of the world. <laughs> so I don't think he had a retirement plan set up for himself. He didn't have his four hundred one k. But I. Yeah. And he probably never thought he'd be thrown out of the army that he loved, you know, and here he was. Yeah, I think that's true. And I think that it kind of speaks to um, Davout's strained attitude towards the royal army, right, and the Bourbons, because Mm -hmm. uh, he fell afoul of them on several occasions. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm sure, you know, um, the king probably remembered something of that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I. But yeah, a few years later, he is uh, rehabilitated and yep. Yep. Um, 
everything is restored. I mean, you know, arguably as as a way of you know trying to stabilize and um, uh, trying to find a way of um, accommodating yep. uh, all the, the the former Napoleonic officers um, yeah. into into this into the state into the hierarchy. Yeah, and sadly, it passes. Uh, I think a few years after that, eighteen twenty three. Eighteen twenty three. That's, that's yeah. He was yeah. a young guy. He was only fifty three at the time. So it was. Yes, I mean, he, he, you know, accompanied a lot. And you know, bear, bear in mind that you know he was just one year younger than Napoleon, mm. and um, died only a couple of years later. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah. yeah, you know, their their lives and careers are obviously you know, very closely <laughs> entwined. Yeah, I, I do want to ask you one more question before we uh, wrap up. Um, sure. I wanted to read uh, some books on the Russian campaign in particular. Mm-hmm. What do you recommend there? That's a very good question. Um, what I would recommend uh, above all else um, is the book which really actually got me into the 1812 campaign and sort of Russia's involvement in the Napoleonic Wars. Mm-hmm. And that is uh, Dominic Galevin's Russia Against Napoleon. Mm. Um, which you know, uh, basically covers uh, the relationship between um, the Russian and uh, Napoleonic empires mm-hmm. uh, between 1807 and 1814. Mm-hmm. So it's like it's not only 1812 itself, which a lot of um, a lot of writing on 1812 is, is only focused focused on that particular campaign, yeah. but really Levin takes a sort of broader view. And contextualizes it within, you know, how did France and Russia get into the position where they had to fight, and why did, you know, why was Alexander so keen on not surrendering, even after uh, Napoleon had occupied Moscow, and why was he so keen to bring the fight all the way to Paris? Yeah, and I think that's interesting. I think every historian or, or you know. Napoleonic aficionado, they all have one book that kind of got them into it. And I, yes. is Campaigns of Napoleon by David Chandler. And, uh, and, yes, yes. I'm, that, I'm, I'm looking at that in my bookshelf right yeah. now. <laughs> and they, yeah. they, they, cover, they cover all of his campaigns, but Russia yeah. is one of them. And that's a good, that's a good book. Mm, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's, it's very difficult to get hold of these days. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, yeah, so, certainly to be recommended. And obviously, as these things go, some of the scholarship is outdated, but um, in terms of an introduction to um, uh, to the Napoleonic Wars and all of Napoleon's campaigns, it's invaluable. Uh, um, any others? Yeah. Any others? Um, so the work the work of uh, Alexander uh, Mikabaritse oh, is he's great. Is very good. Um, he's done. He's uh, compiled quite a few. Um, uh, sort of source collections from like um, uh, you know, translated uh, Russian perspectives, mm-hmm. and there's one on 1812. Uh, there's also one on 1807, and I think there's one on 1814. Um, so you know, that is very uh, worthwhile. And sort of on on, on that note, um, I myself have you know, translated a few accounts of um, uh, Russian accounts of the 1812 um, campaign. Um, uh, you know, self-published on uh, on Amazon, like uh, uh, from uh, Barclay de Tolly, you know, the uh, the initial commander of the Russian army, um, yeah. to General uh, Ivan Peskevich, who is a divisional commander, you know, one of the more successful ones. He's you know, he finds himself in you know pretty much all of the most um, uh, the fiercest of of battles, um, and then also uh, a young artillery officer. By the name of Avram Norov, who is writing these uh, his memoirs yeah. uh, in the 1860s as a response to you know, right at the end of his life as a response to uh, Tolstoy's War and Peace, uh, which has just been um, been serialized, been published, yeah. and um, he does a very interesting critique of War and Peace based on his experiences. You know, as a young artillery officer mm-hmm. um, in the 1812 uh, campaign, primarily in 1812, like he, he writes a bit about uh, the early campaigns, but yeah. Um, okay. So yeah, you can uh, you can find them on Amazon. Like if you search for you know, Barclay de Tolly or Peskevich or um, Avram Norov, 
um, something like that. Right. If, if possibly search my name, that that may also come up. Um, I'm not entirely sure. <laughs> but, I'd like to give a shout out uh, to a friend of ours who, if you're not into books, uh, if you go follow Twitter, our friend River yeah. Neiman, uh at second underscore crossing, she does That's, a phenomenal job. Yeah, she, she does a great job of like chronicling the 1812 campaign like day by day. Mm -hmm. And you know, I know she has a very busy day job. So um, <laughs> it's. Uh, it's it, it's incredible that uh, she's managed um, to to do that, but yeah, that's that's something that I also sort of go back to just to check a few dates and uh, and stuff like that. So yeah, the visual and the visuals she finds, you know, pictures related to it. And yes, yeah. very good. All right, well, let's uh, kind of wrap up here, Jimmy. I, okay. I really appreciate your time. I know we talked a lot, but um, <laughs> this is the Iron Marshal, so I wanted to go a bit above and beyond on my usual episodes. Yes. Um, you know, let's let's keep in touch because I'd like to do maybe uh, some more of these as we go forward. Absolutely, I, I had a lot of fun um, you know, talking, and um, you know, hopefully, uh, uh, we'll be able to uh, tidy tidy it all up into uh, something that will um, yeah, be uh, interest, be of yeah. interest. Yeah, and one more: the, the website is NapoleonicImpressions.com. That's right, and it's free shipping worldwide. Correct? Yes. Correct. All right. All right. Well, I highly recommend all my listeners check that out. And um, yeah, Jimmy, it was my pleasure. Thanks so much.